Welcome to Taste and See, a conversational podcast where we discuss what it looks like to savor and share God's goodness through home. I'm your host, Jessica Sherrill, and today I'm talking with Kristen. She's a wife and mom living in Florida and a longtime friend of mine. Kristen and I first met through photography, I think about 15 years ago, which is crazy, and have had several um, core memory experiences together, I think I'll call them. So uh, (laughs) I'm very glad to have her on the podcast today. Welcome, Kristen. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Before we get started, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and then kind of just a high-level version of what you've walked through with your mom and husband in the last few years. Yeah, so um, I'm 33, and I'm Caleb, my husband, and I have been married for it'll be 11 years this summer, and we have three kids. Um our oldest two are almost 10 and seven. And then we have a little guy who's three months old. So we're in like the sweet, sweet newborn stage again. And it's, it's so much better to do it with experience. We're just so enjoying it. We're living in Florida, but we both lived in different places growing up. He's from Oklahoma. I'm from Washington, DC. So we kind of like wandered our way down to the beach. And that was our, our goal is to end up raising our kids by the ocean. And we're happily here. Um, he's a violinist and I'm a photographer. And so, um, the big flyover version of our story is that he, um, had a little brother who died from cancer. And then my mom had had a really serious round of cancer when I was in high school. And we met, um, while my mom was going through a second round of cancer. And so our whole kind of engagement and marriage and then new, newlywed, new parents season was just kind of dunked in that time frame. Um, and then a few, well, about six or seven years after my mom passed from cancer, we found out Caleb had a very serious terminal cancer himself. So we've had so much of like our young life impacted by um, this disease. This is everyone has their life impacted by all the different types of trials they um, are facing, but we feel kind of like it's a little weird how specific and direct cancer has been for us for being pretty young. And that's the flyover version. So many of my episodes so far have um, been about hospitality, kind of from the point of the hostess and how we can invite others in to enjoy the goodness of God within like the four walls of our homes. But one topic I knew I wanted to cover was this topic and idea of um, grief and loss and how we can walk with people going through those seasons where maybe inviting them into our home for a sit down dinner or an evening of games or something like that isn't the most helpful thing or maybe it is and we can dig more into that later but kristen came to mind because she has walked through some of these just seasons of sharp grief over the last 10 years and i've seen kind of from a distance um how her community of friends has walked through her and her family with the um, in these seasons with a lot of care and thoughtfulness and so she just came to mind for those reasons and as As we dig into this topic, I kind of wanted to start more broad and I was thinking about it and I know something that I think about often as a parent and I assume that most parents do as well is how 
Each of my children will someday experience some kind of grief or pain at some point in their life. And since I can't spare them of those experiences, how can I prepare them for it? And I think of the quote from Chesterton um, that talks about how fairy tales do not give the child the idea of the evil or the ugly. That is in the child already because it is in the world already. He says fairy tales Mm -hmm. do not give the child his first idea of bogey, like as in the bogeyman. What fairy tales give the child is his first clear idea of the possible defeat of bogey. So I think I wanted to start kind of backing up a lot and ask if there are ways that looking back, you can see in your childhood home and family, see ways that you were prepared and fortified for the storms that you didn't even know were coming, things that were kind of sewn into the fabric of your life from a young age that held you together through those dark days. Yeah, there. it's been such a sweet thing to reflect on in hindsight um, because there's so much of what my childhood turned out to be. I'm realizing that I just, I wish I could copy and paste and just do an exact overlay. There's chunks of it that I'd want to you know, skip, but the actual day in and day out life that we lived with our parents and um, particularly our mom being like the primary one at home with us and how she, she was a Christian um, her whole entire life. And my parents got married and my dad was a very new Christian. So he would even like very humbly and truthfully say that her, her roots and how deep they were so changed him and affected him as a man. So as we were getting started as a family, he as a husband, us as like their little kids, very much was just um, because of who my mom was that we all grew the way that we did. And she, she also was, 30 when she got married and, and had me. And she was one of those people who had wanted to get married when she was probably 16 or 17. So she was just mm-hmm. for a long time for wondering, will I get to, when will I get to in the meantime, while I'm not, let me do good things. She became a, she loved science and math and became a um, nurse and worked in the army and um, just traveled the world. And she spent her twenties doing really interesting meaningful things and was very involved with her communities ended up in the DC area because of that. And um, the church that she started going to because she was, she was here and there in the army is where our whole lives ended up getting spent. And so hearing her, hearing her and her friends talk about the young years of her making, you know, baby shower cakes and decorating for weddings and babysitting kids so that people could go out on dates and spending so much time, just helping and taking care of the people around her who were in the season that she wanted to be in was always such a like impressive quality um, to me about her. And then by the time she got to be in that season, she was just such a fortified and established woman who had a very clear idea of what she wanted to give us. And she was so grateful to get to give it to us. And I just, I don't resonate or relate to the idea that, uh, women in particular, but that people are just are supposed to have kids because it's what you're supposed to do, or women are supposed to have children. The way that it feels to me because of my mom is how much she just she just loved it. And this this thing of being a mother and this thing of having children and how excited she would get for taking us to the pool or literally taking us grocery shopping or help letting us cook with her in the kitchen. I'm sure it was quite a bit harder and more stressful than I remember it being, but what landed and what my memories have like given me 
is like, I just felt special. I felt like we were the apple of her eyes. I felt like she loved doing things with us. And I, I just always grew up thinking like, I, I want to know this thing she's feeling and I want to do it someday too. I just, I want to know what it's like to literally like run errands with my daughter someday. Like that just was something that I looked forward to from a really young age. And then on top of that, my dad and mom both together loved food and loved cooking and loved, Mm. they both grocery shopped. They both cooked. They both made big meals. I, I think of dinner and food as being like a bountiful, flavorful, big, messy part of our, our family's life. And I'm the oldest of seven. So kind of the fact that again, in hindsight, I'm like, I know you didn't have a whole lot of money and I know that it was a lot of work and I know we were fairly busy even, how did they have the time to make as much food as they made all the time? But they just, that was just such a part of what our life was, was eating together and talking about flavors together and talking about meal ideas and whipping things up in the kitchen. Um, and so when I, when I look back as a mother now and without my mother, I think about the childhood she gave us. It was, it was just what she made was the place that's exactly where you want to be. Like I didn't, I was, I wanted to be home. I wanted to be at our table. I wanted to be in the car with her. I wanted to do the things she was into and doing. And I think as I've sort of like wriggled my way out of legalism or spiritual fear and whatnot, the thing that has held me so much is the idea that like you're, you know, our father our, our like the one who loves us in heaven, who we're the children of, what he's offering us is like this place we want to be and this place that we want to go to. And it's him. And like, that was just, that was, that was the shape of my life as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like I just loved to be where my parents were and doing the thing that they had prepared for us. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that just kept growing and growing um, through adulthood. I obviously am far more aware of the fear and the, how things can go wrong now than I was as a kid, but there's something about that if this is what's laid before me or this is what's been prepared for me, like I want to go through it and see what's here. Um, I want to get like move closer to where my father is and move closer to where my home is, or at least make this place more like what my eternal home will be. Mm-hmm. And I can just a hundred percent like, you know, attest to and testify to my mom's um, very, very like chaotic and imperfect and, um, funny version of doing it. Just she's just so successful in creating an atmosphere that drew me in, and mm-hmm. I I see God as being like that now, and I'm so grateful to her for that. When I was preparing for this episode and thinking about your mom, um, I don't have a lot of clear memories of her. Um, I, I spent a lot of time in Kristen's home um, after we met. There were I don't know. I think about like two or three years. I was trying to remember. I feel like there was a time period where I was back and forth a lot. Um, like a couple times a year, um, I would come yeah, and do yeah. photography stuff with you and stay with you. And, um, yeah. it was kind of a, like a fun, young, footloose <laughs> season in my life. <laughs> um, anyway, so I stayed in your home multiple times and, you know, your family's home. And I, the one thing that like stood out to me um, as far as the memory of your mom goes um, was that I think after I'd been there once or twice, I must have like 
had the same breakfast or something, um, like chosen the same thing and your mom knew or noticed or something. So I remember like the second or third time I had been there, I just came down for breakfast one morning and she had already made my breakfast and it was like a bagel, um, with cream cheese and fruit or something like totally basic. But I just remember feeling like, wow, that was so nice. Like, I don't know. It just felt like special <laughs> to know that she had noticed, like she noticed, she yeah. knew what I was going to come down and get. She made it for me. And, um, so I just have always thought that about your mom whenever I think back to that time. Yeah. I love hearing new stories about her that I haven't heard somebody tell me before, especially mm-hmm. ones like that. Cause it's like, no, that's like exactly what it was like to be her daughter. Like she just, the feeling of, oh, you noticed what I liked and you knew what I liked and you mm-hmm. did it for me. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it was, it was, it was so wonderful to be her daughter and watch yeah. her love people. Yeah. I can imagine. So before we go any further, I do want to hear, you've given us kind of the flyover version, but can you kind of give us the more detailed version of um, what it was like walking through that season of your mom's final sickness and then her passing away? And then also, I don't know, I was trying to remember how long Caleb's battle with cancer was. Was it a year and a half, kind of the worst of it? Yeah, exactly. So... My mom was re-diagnosed with cancer and it was immediately pretty serious and bad um, the week that Caleb and I got engaged. And she'd been starting to feel symptoms were cropping up before that. So we were sort of aware that something seems like it's a little off. But when that hit, that w- it was um, January 2012. And we kind of like it was it was like that, not just a pit in your stomach, but it was like a pit in your soul. Like I knew... Mm this is more serious. Like they'd always said, if this cancer comes back, we're really lucky we beat it the first time. If it comes back, it'll be really, really hard. And um, it was, it was a lot of chaos to be honest for those next two years where my family lived in Florida and Caleb and I were in the Washington DC area and they moved back up to be with her doctor and to be near us. And we were just getting married and like just the way I remember that season of flying down to Florida to do chemo with my mom and coming back up and doing wedding planning in between and her being so sick and my dad trying to do a lot of the packing and getting them out of that house to get back up North and Caleb and I trying to get our like little home settled. And it was, and then throw a wedding in the middle of it. And with her just, it, it really, it still is such a sadness to me that for that season, she felt as bad as she did because she had looked forward to planning my wedding with me and making it happen with me our whole, you know, before she even had me, but my whole life certainly. Mm-hmm. And she did as much as she could. And I still like in my house today have like some of her wedding decorations that were ones that she made during chemo appointments. And she just tried as hard as she could, but it was so limited. And then from there, um, I, after our wedding, it was just pretty much every month was just horrible, (laughs) horribly Mm -hmm. sick, horrible surgeries, horrible, um, you know, news. They, she was such a fighter and kept trying if they would offer, you know, there's a little hope that this chemo could work this time. And she, she did a lot of saying like, let's give it a whirl. Let's see what it can do. So by the end, she was pretty, um, pretty battered up. And I, I remember like the transition of like, I had been so anxious about the moment she would actually pass and just what it would be like. And I, we knew it was coming for a little while. And I remember this, like it was her last conversation on earth that she knew she was starting to really decline and she had fallen asleep and she popped her eyes open 
And I was there and I remember like comforting her and telling her that it, it's okay. You're safe. You're comfortable. Like you're, you're not going to suffer anymore. Like we're here. And it was like the, the baton passing, I guess. Like I talked about this a lot since she's died. <laughs> Anyways, it was, a, it was a really critical moment. Uh, my son was six months old. Um, so I had become a mother, but it was just, it was the first time in my life that my instinct for her felt, felt motherly. And I wasn't looking to her to protect me. I was looking to protect her. And it's something that I'm really grateful for because I feel like she prepared me to go, to go into the, my husband's cancer journey, um, just Mm -hmm. to have a little bit of a, I don't know, an awareness of what it's like and what it would ask. And, um, what, how, how intense it was. And I feel like it was just this kind of like a very sad, um, hard version of preparing me for something, but just, just getting to watch her face the end with courage and look forward to heaven and to be so just so, um, confident in God's goodness the whole way when it was kind of my turn to go and to go without her, um, I, I, I mean, I gosh, I talk constantly about it because he was diagnosed um, five years after she died. And we were told immediately that he kind of has one shot at hope. And it's a, it's a, until even about 10 years ago, people just kind of considered this fully terminal and there wasn't really any hope, but now the way that they've gotten bone marrow transplants to, to um, be successful and effective we had a shot at like, if this goes well, like he could be fully cured. Um, but if he does, if it doesn't, like there's really not, not too many options you guys have. So to sort of be back in that place with him. And then I, I, I just, I thought, I probably thought a thousand times that whole year, like, what would mom do or what would mom say? Or what would mom think? Or how would she like, like remember what she did remember how she was and she was going through it. Um, and in his case, uh, we had, when he was diagnosed, we had a five-year-old and a two-year-old and the transplant world is one that we hadn't, I hadn't done that. I'd done chemo, but I had, I didn't know what this was like. And mm-hmm. I think I was a little naive, but going into the transplant process, we were very hopeful. Everyone kept encouraging us. He was so young and so healthy and so strong, that it would, it would probably be go well. Um, and it didn't, it went, I mean, it did ultimately, like he's here and well now, but the actual process of it, it really did almost kill him. And to just, I remember specifically being in the ICU that summer, like watching him and just looking at him. And I told my dad on the phone, you know, this one day that he looks like mom when she died, like he looks dead. He looks, he looks like mom at the end. Like, I don't know how much, I don't know how many more miracles we're going to get, but he, this seems this seems really serious and bad. Like this doesn't seem like you, you turn around from this. This seems like you say goodbye. So to, to have gone there with him and now, you know, four years later to be out and to have a new baby. Um, I just, I feel so, I feel so impacted by like the fact of how cruel life can be and how painful it can be with like, this unbelievable, I would say it's an, it was an extraordinary surrounding that those, these suffering years for us experienced. I, I, I kind of feel guilty to be honest. I wanted to use a different word, but I feel a little guilty for how surrounded we've been with these trials because I know that there's trials that are 
just as severe that other people don't have um, just as much support as we've had between my mom and, and the church we were in at the time and our community there. And then the internet, social media, you know, support, then our long-term friends that have just walked with us and family. I, I wish I could multiply myself and just like do over and over and over for people what was done for us. Um, mm. Cause it actually, it actually changed everything. Like the, the freedom that I had to be with Caleb because people just fully took over taking care of our kids and taking care of our home and taking care of money and like, just like stepped in for life for us. So I could just stay with him and be with him. And the way that when I was a teenager, our church just like, there was a waiting list to bring us meals because so many Mm -hmm. people were so eager to show up and, and provide support. So like, we didn't, I don't think we like grocery shopped for months. Like they just, they would bring groceries. They would bring meals. They like, people were big, like, I know you have plenty of meals, but can I just bring a freezer meal just in case someone forgets and I want it ready that I don't, I've never honestly heard of support as, as intense and consistent and like long standing as what I experienced. And because it was so, so impactful and so it made all the difference in going through the hardship. I honestly was thrilled when you wrote about being a part of this podcast, because as much as I want to share the story and the miracle of Caleb's healing and and it's very real i on, i i want to share more and like highlight the people who carried us because that mm-hmm. that's something that's something you can do out and you can't make cancer stop spreading you mm-hmm. can't you can't make right. the bad thing go away but what people did in the wake of the cancer they couldn't stop um changed my view of god changed my view of myself changed my view of what i'm doing in life um so it's like exactly the type of thing I want to be sharing. I do want to hear really practically for people who are listening, um, because I think while maybe not everyone's lives are touched to obviously to the degree that yours has been with these kind of um, trials and really heavy seasons, we all know someone who at some point has or will go through something like that. And so really practically, what are ways that people surrounded and care for you and that were really Mm -hmm. helpful for you? Honestly, it sounds so, um, I know it sounds useless because when it's me who's wanting to support someone else, I still feel like, well, I could do this, but what more? When money and food are just Mm. these two immediate every single day needs, like you just have to pay to keep the lights on. You just have to pay to put gas in the car. You just have, you have to eat. Your family has to eat. You have to eat. And when, and you spend a lot of life, you know, figuring out how you can pay for things and figuring out what you're going to eat. And so when something horrible arrives and you're sort of preoccupied with, you know, battling what's horrible, when people step in with just like, I'll never forget getting, getting, you know, a $10 gift card in the mail to our local gas station. And it was someone who, I mean, to go through the effort of finding what gas stations are in Florida and, um, she said she didn't have much to give, but wrote a letter, sent a $10 gift card. And like, I filled up $10 of gas on it. it. It obviously had nothing. It didn't do a pinch to make cancer go away, mm-hmm. but it just made me feel so remembered and so thought of. And um, what that, I think what it does is it gives people like almost proof that 
um, you know, when the temptation can be like, God, where are you? And did you forget about me? Or did you leave me? Or why aren't you making the bad things stop? When people just like, you know, to, to really the $5, the $10, the, the, you know, the frozen lasagna extent, like the little bit of, mm-hmm. I didn't forget about you. I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't tune out the fact that your family has to eat while this is happening. I didn't turn away from it. I didn't turn away from you. I care. I notice I can't change it, but here, like have this, it just was really, it was a daily reminder that, that through these people, Christians are not close friends or not family or not that there was, it was God. Like it was how God was showing himself to us when I didn't necessarily feel in my spirit, something I had like Mm -hmm. a meal on the table. And I told Caleb and I was thinking about kind of preparing for this, that it came to mind a lot. The, the image of a soldier, you know, in you know, a world war one, you know, bunker off by himself while muddy and missing home. And like kind of the, the symbol of that precious valuable collection he had of maybe you know a picture and a trinket and a baseball card or the little bundle from home and that he kept on him and kept in his pocket that would he could look at his wife or look at his parents um and and how it must have felt to get a box of you know love from home Mm -hmm. the the image of like something a, a war is happening in my life even if I'm physically and technically living in my house still, when people are in the in the middle of their war, when you can just like send them something from home, including your home, or remind them of, of what they're fighting for, or remind them of how good good things are, like like to show you know give them in their face like a, you know a, a symbolic picture of what matters and what is meaningful. I just mm-hmm. I can't overexpress how much it helps to keep fighting and to keep going and to keep, and to keep believing like there will be good at the end of this. We will make it through whatever happens in this moment. However, the war ends ultimately like there's, there's more than this moment happening right now. And people again, just really feeding you and providing for those, those basic needs. Like someone wrote us once and said, we want to pay your rent this month. And it was just like, Mm -hmm. I can't, I'm not going to ask somebody, Hey, by the way, would you mind handling that? But that's what, that's what came yeah. to their mind. It's yeah. very helpful. When people tell, they come with a specific, like I go to Costco once a month. I was wanting to just load up on some basics. Um, I'm planning to do it on, on Monday. Can I, can I do that? And can I just drop off some, some basic things and I'll get some basics. Don't tell me anything, but if you want something more, I'll get the extra for you too. Can I just do that? Yeah. Or I love laundry. I'm, I'm, I love it. Can I just come and pick up everything you have and handle the laundry for the week and put it all away for you when you can just like step in and offer a specific act that, that can be done for somebody else. I, it carries you a lot longer than obviously that laundry or that meal. It, it sticks with you. And I think it is an eternal sticking. (laughs) Like I, I think I'll remember literally the hundreds of people who dropped off food and, and took care of the needs in the house in heaven. Like, I think I will be like thanking them again in heaven for that little, yes, they, they gave us and that little bit of home they brought into our war. That makes me think of, um, so I guess two years ago, we, right before we moved to Israel, I was pregnant with our fourth and, um, 
like two weeks before he was due, a huge storm came through. Anyways, we, I had a huge, like a house flood and a burst pipe and we had to be out of our house and we were living with friends for like five weeks, like right in the middle of having a baby. And we knew we were preparing to sell our house and move to Israel. And then like, right after we moved back into our house and still in the middle of like a war zone of like mold problems and all this stuff happening, um, another big storm came through and a tree fell or like a third of our tree fell on our fence and our roof. And um, mm. so that was like a whole nother thing that we had to, so it was like kind of this several like big things <laughs> happening over and over. And we just were like, what is going on? Our life is falling apart. And um, <laughs> I just remember during that season, how many people sent us um, like Uber gift cards or gift cards to specific restaurants or um because people couldn't even really bring us a meal like after I had a baby because we were living with friends and yeah like that was a weird dynamic I mean like the living with friends was not weird but the dynamic of people wanting to help us but it was like I'm not even in my yeah. own house like you can't yeah come yeah to my friend's <laughs> house you know um yeah. and so just and and I think the thing that stood out to me so much was probably half of the people who either sent us things or or encouraged us or supported us in some way were people that I barely knew. Some of them were strangers, like strangers from social yeah. media or, and I yeah. remember thinking like, so I was, I was so overwhelmed that they took the time and cared enough to invest in our life that way. And I remember thinking like, I would never do something like this because I would think like, I might think about helping someone that I don't know very well, like, oh, I should send them a gift card. And then I would think, oh, that's weird. Like they would think it's weird to get a gift card from me, a person that they don't really know. But I know yeah. as the person on the receiving end of that, like how how incredibly humbling it was and encouraging it was to know yeah. that God was using people from all over to meet our needs and support us in that way. So um, because the when something like, yeah, the, the absolute chaos of that where you almost wonder, like, did we like curse something the wrong way? Like, how is this <laughs> things happening over and over um, to yeah, bigger, longer issues? One of the biggest uh, threats is to believe that you actually are alone and you're just, there's a loneliness to something being hard that you have to take care of for a short time or a long time or over and over and over again, or, and just like a little bit of proof that you're not alone. It just does wonders. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. feel, I feel the same as you. Like I still, to this day, like I have two, you know, dear friends who lost their husbands uh, tragically and suddenly in the past year and I'm I mean I second guess all the time like should I I want to like let her know like if I if I made that and sent it would it be stop it <laughs> you know yes mm, you know yeah. it would be, you know it would yeah. be meaningful you you know that it would like you know like what what is this I think it is almost like a like the way that you know the capital C curse like the curse in general like wants to stop um us like goodness from growing and surrounding mm -hmm. is to like convince you that uh yeah it'd be it would be weird and it would be like really it'd be really insensitive honestly like you think that this mm -hmm. would it would do anything for that <laughs> like how how little of you and it just doesn't yeah. it just it does it adds up a lot i do think so many people struggle with that kind of feeling of almost like it would be presumptuous of me to insert myself into the situation like I, what can who I am do? I? Yeah, yeah. Who am I? So I'll pray for them and we'll just leave it at that, which I'm not knocking prayer. Of course, just the idea that that's all we maybe should do because it would be kind of embarrassing to put ourselves out there and do more or something.
Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to talk about is something you often talk about how grief needs beauty. And um, I think that makes a lot of sense because I believe all beauty is a reflection of glory, like the glory of the glory and beauty of the one true God. And so I think that probably one of the most helpful things during seasons of darkness it is for someone or something to help us kind of raise our head and look beyond the pain and the misery of the, the here and now to that coming glory. And that's something you kind of touched on even in the beginning, just about knowing how good the place is that we're going, how that has kind of helped mm-hmm. your perspective. So how can we use beauty to support and encourage those walking through grief? Well, I first have to credit, I, I read that phrase from um, someone that she's been a follower of mine, but her, her name's Shannon. And she, she just wrote in a blog post that simple sentence that grief needs beauty. And man, it's become like a life mantra. And so I'm grateful that she worded it that way because it landed exactly where I needed it to. Um, but moving into actual life, like I think that when very, very hard things happen to us, one of the easiest and most natural heart reactions is kind of the, the, the first why, like why God, or you start to have qualities of God that come into question a little bit, or you're, or you're reckoning with like, well, you have always been good to me, or you have always been faithful, but what's happening right now? Like, it, this is not good. This is clearly bad. Did, did you let it happen? Did you ordain it to happen? Are you with me, even though you allowed, like, there's a, this kind of this big experience. Like you might theologically know what you believe or think you know what you believe, but then you're really in it. And it's like, the goodness can sometimes feel hard to, to get and find. And, and then there's, you know, truth. And well, a lot of times the truth is very sad or very painful or, um, at least mysterious. If I right now it might be really bad, but if I could know for certain that six months from now, this would all be cleared up and we'd be fine. I could keep going, but this mm-hmm. doesn't end well. I don't know if I can handle that being the truth. So truth is uh, not something we're ultimately in control of, but I found that beauty like still fits there. Like I, I felt through painful seasons, I felt more aware and like I needed more of just like that refreshing easy like I, I can't deny like I, I might wonder if God is good and I might wonder how painful truth is going to be but gosh like a sunset is still just beautiful and I can't I can't deny that and so something about um beauty being like the almost the first thing we can get to like when like the highest point when the flood's coming or something and we can get there we can at least get there and be safe or at least get there and find something to hold on to um I just started I realized how, how beautiful like actions toward people were and how beautiful it was to just consider somebody suffering and, and lean towards them. I realized that it, that when somebody's in the middle of so much ugliness, that just to like mm-hmm. bring a flower to send flowers to somebody's house mm-hmm. when, when the world is ugly, it, they actually just, like you said, point to glory and point to, to more. And they, again, maybe we don't know if God is really a good God, or maybe we're struggling with it or don't feel that, but know it, but those are beautiful flowers. And like, that is true. Mm -hmm. And, and that's just something that, um, has really helped, helped me even in my faith in the process that I, in the worst days of Caleb's uh, cancer journey or the worst days of my mom's, I remember like, like 
one one day in particular, I was trying to like lay next to him in bed in the ICU, and I was trying to just like keep talking to him and keep touching his, and keep letting him know I was there, and I didn't know what he was aware of and what he wasn't. But if there's a second of awareness, I just wanted him to like be aware of me. And I was like, well, look, this moment is the worst. These are like the worst hours of my life. Like I, I, it feels like at any minute I could be losing him. And yet like, this is a beautiful love we have for each other. And this is a beautiful thing we're fighting for. And I feel like I want to keep it. I want to get to have it still. I don't want to be losing it right now, but I can't even right in this second, I can't deny that like people who love each other so much, I want to keep living together so much. I want to keep having their life with their children so much. Like that's such a beautiful thing. And I, I found myself just like in tears, just like thanking God for the chance to, to be so loved and to have someone I love so much and to have someone I didn't want to lose that bad. And it's just been like the, the most powerful and like easy place to access something that can hold you when everything's falling apart. So when you can be a, a, you know, a bearer of beauty or a witness to beauty or a giver of beauty in the middle of people's mm-hmm. ugliness, um, I think it helps strengthen like their resolve and can help strengthen like their ability to keep um, enduring what they're enduring. And I read a book um, by a guy who was in the, he was in multiple concentration camps and he said, like, just for, for how ugly and dark life was, there was something meaningful about making sure you caught the sunset and making sure you caught the sunrise and that it, mm. it kept him going just to be able to see something beautiful in the middle of, like, the death and decay that was surrounding him. When life is good, honestly, it's a little bit easier to skip beauty because you can become familiar with it. And mm. you have, you know, to-do lists and checklists and stuff that you're going to. But when the world turns really sour and ugly... It's like that. What that's what rises up first, and you you make sure you don't miss a sun, you know a sunset. I'm saying I'm doing it in air quotes. You make sure you don't miss um, holding someone's hand. Like I I felt I felt like you know holding his hand then like you know physically, emotionally, spiritually. I felt like his you know living hand in mine more than ever, and I'm grateful for I'm grateful for and would just want to encourage anybody who wants to support and care for those walking through a hard time that taking care of their needs and even in a beautiful way um, is like bringing heaven to earth and it is like restoring Eden in real time. And it, and it is declaring with actions and words, obviously, but actions that like goodness is stronger than badness. You know, light is more Mm -hmm. powerful than darkness and that beauty will prevail over what is ugly eventually and so in this moment right now like it's here and it's it's what i can offer you and what i can give to you and it's a trend it's a it's a gift of power for for the moment yeah you saying just even people sending you flowers which maybe people might be again tempted to think that's a frivolous thing what's the point how is how are flowers going to help but it's a there's a reason that flowers are the kind of cliche thing to send people who are Mm -hmm. grieving or um in these seasons of um, just darkness that, that it, it does mean something. It is, it mm-hmm. is a bright spot in someone's day to, um, to get something like that. And I think even the frivolity of it um, can be meaningful. Yeah. It was um, uh, two of the stories that meant so much to me 
One was right when I was very first walking through Caleb's diagnosis, all my kind of main, my main group of friends just sent a box of um, pretty hospital clothes is what she said and get the message. They just, she went shopping, got people to Venmo her, sent a box down. It was just all like soft, new, fresh, not stretched out, not stained, not like just, just, I don't know, four, four or five outfits of soft, pretty hospital clothes. And it was whatever lounge, loungewear. And it meant so much. And I actually was like, oh, I just kind of, I feel, ex- I don't know. I don't feel excited to be in a hospital, but it, I feel, I do feel like nicer and prettier being in a hospital wearing like these, these cute new outfits. And um, the other version was right before we went into transplant, um, my sister-in-law organized with my husband's family, like a big, they wanted to send me out for like a, a pamper yourself day. And so they just, they sent me a box of, again, just, just pretty things, all frivolous, like nail polish and uh, lip gloss and lotions and hair ties, just a box of things. And then a gift card to go get um, a facial and, you know, pedicure or something. Um, it, it really did. It felt like you're kind of being like equipped for equipped for battle with beauty. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to go and like, like be like, um, like it, it wasn't, it wasn't that I needed to go, you know, get more, get more rugged. I needed to get more, like more in touch with like the sweetness of life and get closer to mm-hmm. what's just pleasant. And, and really that, <clears throat> it just speaks volumes. Like to be, to even feel like cared for that way. It's like, a, it's detail stuff. It's, it's not necessary. And so to be kind of like, you know, flooded with it and, and draped with it, go, go into this, you know, kind of hellscape with your nails painted and your, you know, your face glowing and mm-hmm. it's uh, again, symbolic, like not, it doesn't, it didn't do a darn thing to affect his treatment, but the sense with which I went into it and even the way I wanted his hospital room to feel as homey as possible and to feel like our, you know, our pillows, our blankets, our pictures, our, our things, our, the music that's playing, the fake candles that were lit. Like I wanted to feel as close to home as we could get. And those little things people did for us carried us. Man, I I feel like we could talk about this forever. It's also good, but thank you for sharing on a topic that's so tender and personal. And I know, I was encouraged and I I already knew your story, but I still was encouraged and challenged by it. And I think everyone listening will be as well. So you can find Kristen on Instagram at I'm Kristen with an underscore at the end. And she shares beautiful pictures and words. So I highly recommend you go and follow her there. Thank you for listening to our conversation today. I hope it encourages you to use the home you have to share the goodness of God in tangible ways. Any links, products, or recipes we mentioned, as well as social media tags, will be in the show notes below. You can also find our Instagram page for the show at Taste and See Podcast, where I share more practical hospitality tips and encouragement.